Cosmic Christ Podcast, channeling the mind of Christ, with your host, Ascended Master and Enlightenment Instructor, Reva Christ. Theme music by David Beslian, BeslianStudios.com. Welcome back to Cosmic Christ Podcast. I'm Reva Christ, and we are on episode 20, part 6 of the Omega Journey. And we will hear from Mother as she relays her experience of her last incarnation on Earth. The Omega Journey was written through telepathic correspondence by Irma Kavu and published by Cosmic Christ Publishing. It's available in the Kindle store of Amazon worldwide. Jumping right into the cosmic stream, the next words you hear will be from the telepathic communication I received from Mother. I have not lived just one lifetime, but many lifetimes. Here, in the afterlife, lie all the waves of life. For the human wave, there is an identity wave that keeps the wave of their recordings. The human identity wave becomes the sentry of their own information, guiding their information wave. But eternal life is not guaranteed for many who do not choose to stay the course. They go no further than their own memories, and boredom and lethargy set in and they go into a deep sleep. Somewhere within that deep sleep, their identity wave is surrendered and there is no sentry anymore to guide their information. This leaves their information open for viewing by all other waves who are equal to it. The information is food for all other mental waves and each takes what serves him or her individually and they leave the rest. All the higher information is assimilated in the feminine mental wave and all the lower is assimilated in the masculine mental wave. But individually, those of us who maintain our identity still only take what serves our individual need. I cannot bear the world of men. I seldom get involved unless I am dispatched to do so by on high. On high is the title that we give to Christ. When I first found myself here in the afterworlds, I did not choose to reincarnate. I had been raped and murdered by marauding soldiers, and I was glad I died. To be out of that awful place in that awful time, to be free of those awful people and those awful conditions, was truly a blessing that did not come soon enough. I mourned only for the loss of my son. I also mourned because my husband lost his life. But in truth, he had no life because he squandered it when he forsook goodness for evil and mercy for cruelty. I did not mourn for the loss of my own life. In truth, there is no quality of life in the physical world, not if you're paying attention. And I was paying attention. I was very sensitive. I saw the agonies of life. I saw the filth and the struggle and the blindness and the persecution. I saw the violence and the suffering. There were wars going on. Kings' armies invaded territories of other kings and played out their battles, and when soldiers died, the king ordered the men and boys to take their place on the battlefield. It did not matter if they were trained, and it did not matter if the battle carried over into private lands or the center of towns. All who stood in the way of the sword and the lance were struck down, so too were they flayed by the mace, the whip, and the chain. Animals were slaughtered out in the open, 
and often those that committed the act did not clean up. They left blood and entrails and body parts everywhere. It was horrible, and to see them eat their kill like gluttonous hogs was loathsome. To see them wear their kill with their shameful pride was obnoxious. I loathed the human species. My husband was Enos Albright, and he was a pig. In the time I was born, women were married off as soon as possible. A girl was considered a woman the day she began her menzies. If I wasn't needed to help my mother with her own children, I would have been married off at 14 or 15, but because I was needed at home, I was married off at 17 to a landowner. They called him a land baron. I had no say in the matter. The man paid for my hand, and my mother and father turned me over to him. He was a despicable creature, but my parents did not see his character. They only saw his wealth. He was nearly 50 years of age, and I was so offended I threw up when I heard that I would be married to him. For two weeks I could not eat and I could not stop crying. My mother and father were constantly scolding me because my eyes were developing dark bags around them and I was looking gaunt and drawn from being unable to eat. I lost all interest in life. I did not fix my hair or my clothes. Whenever the ripe old pig came over, my mother dragged me to the metal tub and forced me to take a bath and she did my hair and dressed me so I would be presentable to him, and I was threatened with punishment if I dared cause a scene with the baron in the house. But I had no composure, and when the baron spoke to me, I wailed instead of answering him, and my mother held me in her arms and told him I was beside myself with joy, and I had to run outside to throw up again. After the dreadful wedding, I went to live with Enos on his plantation. He was a cotton farmer, and despite the fact that I told him I was quite ill, he insisted on consummating our vows, which in truth were his vows. I could not say the words I do. I could only nod and cry. After the dreadful consummation spectacle was over, my new ogre of a husband rode over to sleep, and I ran outside to puke. He left in the morning to go hunting, and I thanked God that I was spared his presence. However, my feeble joy was not long-lived, for he was back within a fortnight with his fresh kill that he wanted me to clean. I absolutely refused to have anything to do with his murder and mayhem, as he bellowed at me about my duties and shook a fist full of dead birds at me, and their poor heads wobbled, and I burst into tears and ran out of the house and threw up again. Enos decided to let the cook clean the birds, and because I had gotten so weak and the stress was so much on me, I fainted in the backyard, right where I vomited. I awoke in a bedroom that was not my husband's and learned the housekeeper had cleaned me up and put me in fresh clothes, and a doctor also examined me and told me I was dehydrated, malnourished, and pregnant with child. I could have passed out all over again, Bad enough to be married to an ogre without having the curse of an ogre's child growing inside me. My only consolation was that I was told by the doctor that I needed complete rest and I was to have my own room to do it in. I made a secret vow to myself not to eat much so I could drag out my convalescence as long as possible. 
and hope to make it last the full length of my pregnancy and beyond. For how could I take care of the ogre's baby if I had not yet recovered myself? My strength returned much quicker than I thought, so I had to be creative and clever in order to keep myself in isolation. I feigned a weak voice and never allowed my husband to see me sitting up. Fortunately, the housekeeper and I became friends, and she never gave me away, and the ogre spent a lot of time being an ogre and only looked in on me at night. After about two weeks of bed rest, he got bored of seeing me so lifeless and stopped coming to my room every night, which was fine with me. Whenever I heard he took a trip, I got up and walked about the house. I went out in the garden. I searched for books to read in the ogre's library, and I tried to stay out of sight of any visitors that wanted to come by. The one person I did not avoid was my mother. I had a strange relationship with my mother after the marriage to the ogre. At one time, I was very close to her, but now that she betrayed me, I could not muster the same closeness. She was delighted to hear I was going to have a child. In her eyes, my future was secure. I imagined all sorts of responses to her, from anger to tears to gratefulness to see her again. But what actually occurred was something I could never have anticipated. I had no feelings at all toward her. I was empty and desolate. She went on and on about how lucky I was, how fortunate, and how pleased she was, and my mind went elsewhere. She was a stranger to me, as if she had never been my mother. She was just the woman who raised me. After a few long moments of her rambling monologue concerning her ideas for a baby shower, I stood up from the chaste lounge in the drawing room where we were talking, and I told her I was tired and needed to lie down. And all the while she continued to prattle, I walked to the door. I did not see her out, but instead went upstairs to my bedroom and I lay down. I can't honestly say I heard her say goodbye, because I stopped listening. I know I didn't say goodbye to her. I told you I was sensitive, and I was. I do not want you to misunderstand and think me unkind. When I say I was sensitive, I mean I sensed things I didn't understand. My husband was not attractive to me, but this was not why I felt such revulsion for him. It was something about him, an energy that he generated that only I seemed to feel. My mother and father were both immune to it. One day, while he was away, there was loud banging on the front door. I was doing some sewing, making clothes for the arrival of the baby, and I heard men's voices shouting. I went to have a look and saw the housekeeper speaking to what looked like a small mob of people. They were my husband's tenants. They were complaining about poor heating, roofs that leaked, and bad well water that my husband had refused to fix. I came over to see these people, who were clearly at their wits' end, and I told my housekeeper to invite them in, all of them, and fix them tea and sandwiches. And I took them into my husband's study, where I took down every one of their complaints. And I had the spokesperson sign the paper that I wrote on, and then I signed underneath it, and I explained that I was admitting full knowledge of all they had told me, and I would handle the repairs personally. I insisted they stay and enjoy the refreshments 
that Nettie, our housekeeper, prepared, and I got to know their names and all the details of their lives. Once they left, I called the handyman and told him I wanted him to get a few men to assist him, and I gave him the list of repairs to make. I was learning now why I did not like the man I married. Aside from being a hunter, he was also a charlatan and a shirker of his moral duty to those who depended on him. He was a bad businessman. When my husband learned of what I had done, he flew into a verbal tirade of furious reprimands and condemnations while I just stared at his red face and bulging eyes that were as round and protruded almost as much as his stomach did. I did not say anything to him in my defense. I let him keep ranting and raving, hoping he would wear himself out, praying that this great unhappiness he had with me would make him leave me alone. It did. I was six months pregnant when I helped my husband's tenants get their cottages repaired. When I was eight months pregnant, I learned my husband had taken a mistress since shortly after I became ill. The offenses seemed to be piling up as I learned of the character of the man I was married to, and I realized he offended me because he had no character. My mother and father were in awe of him for his money and refused to see his disreputable actions. When my son was born, my life changed. Enos wanted him to be named after him. I refused to allow it, but I consented to let my son use Enos as his middle name. But his first name was Joseph, and I raised my child as Joseph. Never did I once call him Enos, and to my sheer delight, after the ogre took my son on a hunt when he was just six years old, after quite a row with me, my son came home in tears over what he had seen, and I hugged him tightly to me in joy and relief, for I had birthed a child that was sensitive. I did not birth another Enos Albright. And as my son was sensitive, so too was he intelligent, and I made a pact right there and then that I would see he became educated to the highest level available, not only by the standard of education that the scholars of the time offered, but by all the knowledge that I possessed of the Spirit and of God. I am proud of my son, for he was not a killer, not of animals or of men. He was not a destroyer. He was a considerate, thoughtful, and gentle man to all living things. And when the army came to take the Albright land from my husband, the Baron, my son was only 14 years old, and he had never fired a gun nor picked up the bow. He shrunk away from such things, and Enos was disgusted with him. But I taught my son to read, and to write, and to paint, and to draw. I taught him to appreciate music, and when the soldiers broke into our home, I seized my son's arm and took him with me to the cellar to hide, and it was here that the soldiers found us after they slaughtered Enos and his hired hands. I know it seems to you that I hated my husband, but you can't imagine what it does to you to see a man slaughtered in front of you. As I fled with my son, I heard Enos calling to me, Save the child! Save the child! And this impacted my heart and made his death all the more horrifying, 
for in his last moments the ogre showed he had a heart, and I heard his god-awful groans as they tore his life from him with their lances. They killed my son first, and then they raped and murdered me. I will never understand the minds of men that are filled with lust of blood in their veins and thoughts of hate on their minds. No matter how much time passes, very little changes. All states of man seem to decline. There is no rising in them. The few that come along with the right philosophies of pacifism and altruism are praised for their words, but never are they emulated. It is as if all the words of kindness and generosity, grace, compassion, and mercy are merely entertaining the dull mind that sees it as a passing fancy, a fleeting, curious, and humorous jest that passes quickly between the ears and is gone, leaving the hands to continue their bloodthirsty violence while the feet follow the call of a savage appetite and the heart shrivels with no life in it at all. Coming out of the cosmic stream, our next episode of Cosmic Christ Podcast will be our last episode dealing with material from the Omega journey. In our next episode, we will hear Christ's testimony concerning his experience of life on earth. I'm Reva Christ. May peace be with you, and thank you for listening.